Young business leaders, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitaki, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 132. Today, my guest is Nathan Hirsch. He's an entrepreneur, an expert in remote hiring and e-commerce. Most recently, Nathan co-founded FreeUp.com in 2015 with an initial 5,000 investment, scaled it to $12 million per year in revenue, and was then acquired in 2019. Today, Nathan is the co-founder of Outsource School, a company working to educate entrepreneurs on how to effectively hire and scale with virtual assistants through in-depth courses. Nathan has appeared in 300 plus podcasts, is a social media personality, and loves sharing advice on how to scale remote businesses. Young business leaders, Nathan Hirsch. Young business leaders, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Today, as I talked about in the intro, I have Nathan Hirsch here. Uh, Nathan, if you don't mind, I did already read a little bit of your bio, but if you can, say hello to the audience and tell them a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Excited to be here. I'm a a longtime entrepreneur. I started selling textbooks out of my college dorm room, which was my my first adventure. And that led me to learning Amazon. Eventually, I found the baby product niche and got really good at selling baby products on Amazon. From there, I scaled that business at first hiring college kids, but then realizing they were pretty unreliable. So a buddy of mine introduced me to the Fiverr, the Odesk of the world. And I started hiring virtual assistants and I really loved hiring VAs. I came up with really good systems and processes to interview, onboard and train them. But I didn't like those platforms. It just took forever to post a job, get a hundred applicants, interview them one by one. And I decided to make my own marketplace. So I, with $5,000, I took a minimum viable product, a really crummy software and took it to market and built a marketplace that pre-vetted VAs and freelancers before we let them on. We matched them up with clients quickly and had great support, great protection on the back end. And we scaled that very organically using VAs. We we didn't hire any US employees from a $5,000 investment to doing over eight figures by year four and were acquired by one of our clients um, at the end of last year, which was kind of cool. And then from there, we, we launched this new venture called Outsource School. People started asking if we could teach them our system, our process for hiring VAs and freelancers. And we created this, this membership where we have education. We have this SOP building software and, and all that. And we can talk more about that later. But that's a short version of books to baby products to, to free up to now Outsource School. Well, that's awesome. I love your entrepreneurial journey and and how it kind of changed and evolved. Um, When we're kind of talking to young business leaders, we want to kind of hone in on some of the clues that success leaves behind, but we also want to kind of highlight maybe some key things that happen uh, in the transition of your career. And I think the, the real interesting thing, like right off the bat, is that your frustration led to innovation. And by looking at products that were out there that maybe uh, fit the need, but they didn't completely do it the way that maybe you would do it or you, that you envisioned it could be. And at some point, I'm assuming that you said that the phrase, uh, you know, somebody needs to invent something better than this. And at that point, I think you, 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 you took the responsibility on yourself. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like how that frustration led to that first uh, entrepreneurial journey? Yeah. I mean, outside of the baby products, which I kind of just came across through trial and error and accident. I mean, I created the, the book selling business because I, I was pissed off at the school bookstore for ripping me and other students <laughs> off. So I, I kind of created a solution to my own problem. And then to free up very similarly, I was using these platforms. I didn't like them and I kept looking for something faster, looking for something better. And when I couldn't find it, I said, you know what, I'll build it myself. And 
Mm. Then fast forward now to even outsource school. I always wished back in the day that um, someone just said, hey, here are systems. Here's how you interview. Here are the questions you ask. Here's how you onboard them. Here's how you run meetings. Here's how you fire a VA. I mean, that would have saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars and tons of time figuring out my own processes. And so we built a lot of education and playbooks around that. And this SOP building software that, that we just built, the standard operating procedure software, we didn't really like the other makeshift softwares out there. And we really designed a software for us that we're now giving to our members and other people that come across outsource school. So again, trying to solve our own problems for the most part outside of baby products. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize that your problems are other people's problems. Like they're dealing with the same frustrations that you have. So I, I think a lot of times when you're, you're trying to you know, start something, you're, you're just, you're, you're kind of going through that. Like what, what is something that I could do? Like, like I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to grow a business. I want, like I have these aspirations, but I don't necessarily know where to start. And I think that's where it's important to, to first of all, start where you're seeing some of your own frustrations, solve those problems and then find ways to help other people with that. But I, I think the, there's another kind of key uh, thing that I kind of picked up uh, in your description of what you did was uh, you had a, a $5,000 budget to start this, um, but you launched anyway. And I, and I would call that taking imperfect action. Uh, maybe your, your product wasn't 100% like maybe what it was when you sold it, but you, you still took the action even though it wasn't perfect. And, and for a person like me, I'm one of those kinds of people that I'm very calculated, I'm very deliberate, I'm very decisive. Like if I'm gonna do something, I wanna be very sure of my next step. And I almost have to reprogram myself not to do that because if I, if I, if I kind of lean into my, um, my defaults and my character, I'll never take the action that I need to get started. And I think that getting started, even though it wasn't perfect, is, is probably one of the most important things you can do when you're starting to launch something. Yeah. And there's two sides of it. One, like you said, sometimes your problems are other people's problems, but at the same time, you can't be a hundred percent sure of that. There's plenty of times where you think there's a market for something. You think other people want what you want and that's just not true. So what we like to do is fix a problem for us, make a minimum viable product that we can take to market get it to market. I mean, we're doing that right now with our SOP builder that launched 48 hours ago. We're giving a wow. bunch of people beta access. We, we spent 60 days on it, which isn't a ton of time in the development world. And we got it out there and now we're listening to feedback. And I mean, just because we sold the company doesn't mean every idea we come up with going forward is going to be a good one. People might like it. People might hate it. There's sure to be a lot of feedback, but we listen to that feedback. We try to fix any bugs, add any new features, tweak, tweak it to make stuff more clear and see if there actually is a market for it before we put more time, more energy into it and build it going forward. And that's really what we did with FreeUp. That's what we're doing now with Outsource School. I mean, Outsource School has our main course, Cracking the VA Code. Same thing. We took it to market before we started building other courses, other playbooks. We made sure that people would buy it. People actually liked it. And from there we built more, but if we had launched that and people hated it, we would have scrapped it and moved on to something else. And that's just kind of the, the mentality that we take. Yeah. You almost have to uh, not take it personally. If somebody doesn't like some of the ideas that you launch, I, I, uh, I, I think that especially like, so in my world, I do a lot of marketing and I feel like I'm always fighting my graphic designers because I'm always trying to tweak and, and make things a little bit better. But I almost feel like I'm just crushing their dreams because this is something that they've worked on, you know, and they've put their heart and soul into. And then sometimes it's like me calling their baby ugly. I'm like, it's not that your baby is ugly. It's just, I think that there's some ways that we can improve this and grow this and, and, and really, uh, 
take this to where it's going to produce the best results. And sometimes as, uh, as you're going through that journey, you have to take that critical feedback or perceived critical feedback uh, and, and, and take it to heart and say, okay, is this, is this a need that I'm actually uh, filling or is there not a market here? And I, I need to kind of like walk away from this and, and go away into a different direction, but not take it personally and not have it maybe crush your dreams as an entrepreneur. Yeah, totally uh, agree. I mean, for me as an entrepreneur, I want people to tell me when stuff in my business is ugly, when it's not working, um, especially early on. I'd much rather get that feedback before I, I put time, money, and effort into it. And even even like after you find out people like the product, like free up, we hit the ground running pretty quick. We did a million dollars in the first year, which is pretty decent for a startup. But yeah. at the same time, we still wanted people's feedback. We want to know what people didn't like about it. And we, we, it's a lot of split testing, right? I mean, the answer is always split testing. You're putting some different stuff out there and you're seeing what people like. I mean, right now we're, we're by the time this episode launches, we will have a name for our SOP builder, but right now we're split testing the name for our SOP builder, uh, simply yeah. SOP versus simple SOP. And we're seeing what, what people like from there. So it's a lot of split testing. It's a lot of asking for feedback. It's a lot of making small tweaks over time. And, and that's also where the, the decision-making comes into play because especially with software, you're going to get a lot of feedback. That's short, easy, quick fixes. You're going to get some medium fixes. You're going to get some big, huge projects changes, and you have to be able to prioritize, Hey, do I want to work on a lot of small things? Do I want to work on this big thing? Which means I'm not going to be able to get to this small stuff for a while. And you need to find that, that balancing act, depending on what resources you have. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, sometimes, uh, and, and going, uh, back to free up, uh, you, you recently sold free up and uh, I went and kind of uh, read a little bit of, of that process of kind of what you went through. And it, and it looked like based on what I was reading that you kind of realized your limitations as, as leaders. And you realized that for free up to kind of go to that next level, it was better for you to sell it than for you to con continue on. Can you talk a little bit about that analysis project? Like, like where it's something you've really poured your heart and soul into uh, and then recognizing, Hey, this is time for us to maybe, you know, pass the torch on to somebody who can take it to that next level. Yeah. And, and that was one of many factors that we were looking at. I mean, what ended up happening was one of our clients who was using FreeUp reached out to us and said, Hey, we love FreeUp. We, we want to get into the space, the, the VA freelancer marketplace space that we don't want to start it from scratch. Would you guys be interested in being acquired? And I mean, from there, we, we had a lot of conversations about it. And I mean, Connor, my business partner and I had a lot of conversations and I mean, we had, we had already seen it. I mean, what, what gets you from zero to 1 million isn't what gets you from one to 5 million, which isn't what gets you from five to 12, which was eventually what we were at when we sold it. And we knew that if we wanted to go from 12 to 50 million, we were going to have to make some massive changes. And, and not only are we going to have to make massive changes, we're now in uncharted territory. We've never built a business to that level before. So who knows what, there's probably going to be failures along the way. And when you're making failures with a bigger company, it's a lot harder, bigger to fall. And you have a lot of people, it's a business model where you have a ton of people depending on you. You have the yeah. clients on one side, you got the freelance on the other, you have your internal team in the middle. And so we're trying, we're kind of gambling with our ability to do something we've never done before with a lot of other people depending on us versus we got a pretty fair offer and we did a lot of due diligence on them to make sure that they weren't going to drive into the ground and they had experience growing it. And so I was like, all right, do we take this offer? Do we turn it into a win for us, a win for them? We 
do we, our plan was to take 500, which we ended up doing, but taking $500,000 from a sale and giving it to our internal team in the Philippines and making sure that they were taken care of and their jobs are secure. Or, or do we try to do it ourselves? And if that doesn't work, then a lot of people get kind of hurt in the process. So th there's other factors too. Um, but, but that was definitely uh, something that we talked a lot about and eventually made the decision that we'd rather sell it and create that win-win quickly for everyone and give them an opportunity to, to grow the business. And we have a great relationship with the new owners. I mean, they send people to outsource school. We send people to free up. We still hire from free up um, and, and all that. That's cool. And I, I hope the listeners are kind of picking up like uh, as you're talking about some of these things that, you know, these are things that you, I, I think, are passionate about like you've enjoyed the entire process of this in, in terms of you know creating the product finding the need uh but then also like recognizing kind of like where it needs to go next and what role you play in that um but even when you recognize kind of going to that next level of, of what that is taking care of the people that uh that helped you get there like recognizing that they were a big part of that uh and and talking about like all the people involved I, I think sometimes people especially leaders forget that how much relationship and people are, are involved in the process of running a business i think i think sometimes we get caught up on like the numbers right like we want it to be profitable we, we took it from five thousand to, to five million uh or to, to 12 million like that's what i think people get excited about and they feel like you know those are the bullet points of of what success is in this career but i think that you're touching on some of the things that maybe people don't think about as much as like who are the people that are involved in this process how do i take care of them how do i take care of their families how do i take care of my customers and when you apply that level of care to whatever product that you're doing, I think that's part of the success of the businesses that you've had is that recognizing the value of the relationship of the people that helped you get there and the value of the customers that you have. They're not just, you know, uh, reoccurring revenue that comes in or a percentage of whatever, whatever else you do. These are real life people that have needs that you're trying to help and fulfill. And if you recognize that all the way through your leadership journey, that's really going to help you be that much better of a leader and ultimately uh, be a successful leader. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think at the time, I mean, it was a sad, it was sad to let them know we sold it. They were sad and all that. But fast forward to today where free ops doing well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Not a lot of people <laughs> are losing their jobs. And not to mention, if you think it's tough in the US right now, imagine what it's like in a third world country like the Philippines um, yeah. going through a pandemic. They're very happy that they got that large bonus with the sale that they their jobs are secure and they're working with people that have experience navigating companies through tough times and more than Connor and I do. So, I mean, part of that kind of worked out. Obviously, we're not wishing for a pandemic, but you, we kind of factored that in. We, we didn't know that a pandemic would be coming, but we kind of factored in, hey, like, what if we don't sell this thing and the economy crashes or something happens, maybe a new competitor comes in and, and we kind of didn't, weren't able to give them that money and that security and that kind of stuff. So again, that's one of many conversations that you have among lots of different things, um, but it was definitely something we factored in. Yeah. And just speaking of the pandemic, because I, I feel like it's almost like this line has been drawn in uh, in this decade of like, you know, pre-COVID, post-COVID, because a lot has changed. But I feel like even maybe talking about just virtual assistants and people working remotely and all those other things like that is now like 
it's been propelled. It's been, it's been launched. Like I think there's a lot of like old school business people that were maybe less open to people working remotely, or maybe even less open to virtual assistants that may be more open to that now because of, of what's happened. And you guys were, you know, essentially kind of on the cutting edge of that in, in developing that. So I, I do want to get a little bit into uh, how you were able to build those teams and how you're able to develop those people. Uh, because I think that that's a struggle right now for uh, business leaders is how do I manage remote people, especially in your instance where they're freelance, right? They're, they're, they don't necessarily have like a brand that they're tied to or a culture that they're tied to. You were still able to create that with uh, free up and, and manage, I think it was like almost 500 uh, virtual assistants. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, we weren't managing 500 VAs. We had thousands of VAs and freelancers on the platform, but they didn't work for us. They were just offering their services in the marketplace and working directly with the clients. Our internal team was 35 VAs and they, I kind of differentiate the, the followers, the doers and the experts where the followers are more five to 10 bucks an hour. They could be full-time, part-time, but it's a little bit more ongoing but they're there to follow your systems, your processes. That's kind of your team. Then you got the doers and the experts. Um, the doers are like the specialists, the graphic designers, the writers, the video editors, and that can be a little bit more project-based and the higher experts can be coaches, consultants. They might have an agency, they might have a team and they're bringing their own systems, their own processes. So with our, our VAs, we, we treat it very much like our team where it's a freelancer. We're kind of building a Rolodex of talent that we can go to. But a big part of being an entrepreneur is understanding how to work with these different levels. For yeah. the VAs, you need systems and processes and SOPs, and that's what we built our software for. For freelancers, you need to be good at project management and due dates and due times and be able to get the, the creativity that's in your head to someone else that can actually design it and do whatever it is. And for the experts, you need to be able to collaborate with someone and work together and use someone expertise, someone else's expertise and have that level of trust, but also accountability and check-in. So learning how to use each level is a key part of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that it's, it's, it's interesting to recognize that because you have those different level levels, you have to prepare differently for each one. And I think sometimes, you know, and, and this is something that I deal with is like everybody, like in theory, you want to kind of treat them equally, but you can't like, there's certain things that like I have to have SOPs. I have to have like very detailed information for, for the, my followers, for my, my basic level. But for my experts, they probably don't want to be micromanaged. They like, I can just connect them and allow them to do their thing. Uh, but you know, you have to kind of have this level of fairness across all of it um, and, and still treat the followers and the experts essentially the same. So it's a little bit of a balancing act, but I think that's, part of kind of like the discernment of your leadership comes in to play like like how do I create an environment or create a platform that can cater to all of these different levels uh, to where they feel that there's value there for them as well as the customers and have the value there for them. Yeah, I mean, totally agree. It's funny. I mean, it all kind of comes down to treating people well and honoring your word and building that trust. And, and that's what I'm a firm believer in from the client side, from the freelancer side, from the hiring VA side. I mean, you're, you're only as good as your word and how you treat people. And I think that was actually one of the bigger lessons that I learned early on as an entrepreneur. I, I never had a real job out of college. I only had these internships before college. My parents made me work every summer, 40, 50 hours a week. And 
I had managers who didn't care about culture, didn't care about treating people well, didn't care about customer service. And I, I actually got good at customer service just by doing the opposite of what he did because I, I saw more success <laughs> that way. But I didn't learn how to manage people at all because I, I, that was just something you don't know how to do as a 20 year old. And you kind of look at the people that are managing people and just kind of copy them. And so I kind of fell into bad habits of being too direct and talking down to people and people didn't like working with me. And that hurt our Amazon business at first. I mean, our turnover was through the roof. People were stressed out and it took a lot of self-reflection and working with my business partner um, to, to kind of create a better culture and, and figure out how to balance that culture. But on the customer service side, we were very focused on customer service from day one, from the bookkeeping business, the Amazon business, free up, now outsource school. I mean, customer service is everything where, um, and it's the one way you can compete with bigger businesses. I mean, you can't compete with a huge company on software or marketing, but you can on customer service. So I'm a big believer in it. Man, I'm so glad you said that because that is something that I feel like I, I hammer uh, down on a lot is, you know, between like, I mean, if you look at all the different businesses out there, like what are some of the things that do separate businesses? Sometimes there's technology and innovation, uh, but not everybody's going to have maybe those tools, but that customer service, which, you know, is something that I almost feel like is cliche at some point because all companies have customer service in some capacity, but some obviously make it a priority and others have it because they know that they need to. But the ones that have it and the ones that invest in it and really invest in their employees, it shows up. I, I, I think I've uh, heard it multiple times. If you invest in your employees, they will invest in your customers. And so that's kind of like the flow in leadership is constantly uh, pouring into those employees, constantly creating that culture, constantly kind of reminding them of like who we are as a company and what we do. And that is going to trickle down to your customer level. If you just say it to your customer, like here's who we are, here's what we do, but your employees don't actually um, demonstrate the culture that you have, then you don't have that culture. You have an aspirational culture, but you've not created any kind of environment uh, for the employees to recognize this is who we are as a company. And these are the standards that we have. And this is how we do things. And for me, it's, it's challenging sometimes because like I have my own values. I have my own uh, belief system of, of how things should go. Uh, and so I believe that some, in some capacity, people around me will just kind of pick that up just by being around me. But I have to, as a leader, communicate that on a consistent basis to my team so that they know, like, how would I handle this situation? What, what would I do? Would I just do the bare minimum or would I go above and beyond? Uh, would I over talk the customer when they're trying to complain about something? Uh, or would I listen and allow them to completely, um, you know, state the challenge that they've had? And sometimes, that, that can be absorbed through just proximity, but I think ultimately it has to be used through everyday examples in, in your leadership and constantly as a leader, reminding people uh, about that and, and, and how that works. I, I think you, when we talked earlier, you had talked a little bit about that culture and, and some of the things that you did to kind of create that, even in a virtual world, I think you called it BARF. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and, and what that's done for your company? <laughs> yeah, so culture is a, a very complex thing. It's almost three parts. You need to figure out what your culture is because my culture might be different than yours, which would be different than someone else's listening. Then you need to find people that are already a fit with that culture because you don't want to try to change people. It's very, very hard to do. And then you want to maintain that culture over time, which is really the, the most challenging part. And 
to me, the, the, the barf method is not necessarily the, the culture piece. It's kind of the surrounding um, piece of it. The, and the barf stands for buying in, appreciation, building relationships, and creating family. And this helps you reduce turnover because turnover not only kills small businesses, it also becomes impossible to create a culture if you just have revolving turnover. So buying in is getting people to understand that the long-term vision of the company, to understand how their role impacts it and how they're a part of it going forward. Showing appreciation is not being the client that only talks to the, your VA um, when they mess up, saying, hey, great job, uh, great job this week. You crushed that project, whatever it is. Um, building relationship is connecting with them on social media, getting to know them personally, sharing your interests, learning theirs, learning about their family. And the family is a big part of just VA culture, especially I hire a lot from the Philippines. They live with big families, their church is their family, they have outside communities that are their family, and, and you wanna create a family inside of your business because if they like each other and get to know each other and you don't just have all these VAs doing different tasks that don't talk to each other, then when that other client comes around the corner and can pay your VAs more money and offers them more money, which is always gonna happen no matter how much you pay your VAs if they're any good, if you've gotten them to buy in and shown appreciation and built a relationship and created a family, the VA is not going to want to leave. So that's kind of the foundation of it. And then from there, figure out what your culture is. Our culture is all about ideas and feedback and being positive and being professional and the bigger person and take owning up if you make a mistake and not blaming others. So we have that culture set in stone. We look for people who fit that culture and have that entrepreneurial spirit. And then we have culture meetings once a month where we go over the culture. We make any tweaks. We make sure people are on the same page. We welcome new people, make sure that they're engulfed in that culture. And that's a big part of how we run the business going forward. So would you say that your culture is ever evolving then? Because I mean, sometimes I feel like when you create a culture, it's like, so you have accidental culture. That's kind of like what exists, but then you craft your culture. But are you telling me that your culture actually kind of moves and changes based on the actual people that you have there? So it's kind of a combination of the two. Um, it doesn't necessarily like change based on the people, but we are open to like making tweaks over time. And we, we don't want to be like, so Connor's my business partner. We don't want to say, Connor and I say, this is a culture. You guys need to follow it. It's got to be a <laughs> collaborative thing where they feel involved in it. So let's say that we didn't have um, like being professional as our culture, even though we do, if someone said, Hey, like, I think a big part of our culture and we're already doing this is being professional. Let's add that to our culture list. Well, that makes sense. We're going to make that tweak. We're going to make that change. And there, and this hasn't happened to us recently, but there's also times where people say, Hey, X, Y, Z is our culture, but they're not really doing it. It's just kind of there. So maybe it doesn't, it makes sense to get rid of that because that can be confusing to people that are joining the company expecting one thing when you're not really doing what you say you're doing. So um, yeah, it, it's ever evolving, but you want to try to not make like massive changes to it. Cause that just kind of confuses everyone. <laughs> yeah. So you have like an outline of your culture, like this is the guide, right? But then you're kind of filling in the gaps there and then you're trimming and pruning the things that maybe don't fit, but then also adding some of the things that, 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 that do fit or maybe that you're already doing and now you're just calling it what it is so that, you know, later on a new employee comes in or a new uh, VA comes on, like they can see the full picture of, of what it is to be a part of your company. 
Yeah, completely agree. And you want you want someone who um, wants to be a fit and you want to ask questions and make sure that you're encouraging them to ask questions. You want people to know what they're getting into. I mean, I break it down into interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. And a lot of it in the onboarding is making sure that they know what they're getting into, what the expectations are, and getting in writing so you can hold them to those expectations. And part of it is culture. And so you want to make sure that you're, you're really establishing that stuff up front. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's so much easier to point back to like, hey, remember when I hired you when I talked about X, Y, and Z? And like, we said, this is who we are. I think it's a lot easier to point back to that and say, like, we both agreed this is kind of who we are as a company and what we're doing here does not match that. So, you know, it's, it's, it becomes a, a black and white uh, type of situation where either you are uh, bought into this culture and you are a part of it or kind of the way that you're acting and the things that you're doing are not, you, we can't really in culture have a gray area because that's where people start to uh, maybe take your, your, your culture hostage because so much of it starts to change uh, like small little tweaks and chipped away the next, you know, year, two years, three years from there, your culture is completely changed from what that outline was. Uh, and now you're having to kind of reel it back in and recognize, Hey, you know, what happened here? Did, did my, my defined culture become an accidental culture again? Or just change people in general. So you want to make sure yeah. that you're, you're finding people that are the right fit. And then you also want to make sure that they're not BSing you and, and testing them and making sure they are upfront. I, I kind of look at hiring as an investment that you're investing more and more over time. So if there is an issue, if someone's not the right culture fit or whatever it is, you want to find that out in day two, not in week five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, I absolutely. And that's when you're, and maybe not even day five, maybe year five in, in year five, it's so much more difficult to, to kind of make those changes because, you know, you're sitting there going, I've allowed this to happen for so long. Uh, and, and now it's like, you know, we're in direct conflict of our culture. How do we handle that? What do we do? Um, I want to talk a little bit about buy-in because I think this is probably one of like the most important things of, of BARF. And then, then I definitely want to kind of jump into kind of what you got going on uh, now. But I think buy-in is really important because I, I think that's the start, right, to all of getting somebody to really kind of um, embrace who you are as a company. You talked about, you know, interviewing and onboarding. And, and I think that's where the buy-in really starts is where you're kind of explaining and demonstrate or trying to demonstrate, but you can't really yet because it's, it's still kind of early, but your goal is to get that person to say like, I believe in what you're doing. I want to be a part of this and I want to really kind of embrace what this is to where they become a, a sticky employee uh, to where, like, like you said, somebody's going to come along and they're going to offer them more money. They're going to offer them maybe, you know, something a little bit more uh, incentivizing. But if I'm reading between the lines, it's not all about money for VAs and it's not all about money for employees. There is more that they're looking for in terms of peace of mind and cohesion of team and everything else. So can you talk a little bit about the buy-in specifically about the buy-in process for you guys? And, and how do you know when somebody is actually bought in? Uh, like, what does that really look like? 
Well, we look for people that, that have the entrepreneurial spirit, but don't necessarily want to be entrepreneurs. Like they like building, they like learning, they like self-improvement. So we're looking for people who can take ownership of stuff. And we're looking for people who want success for the company and look at success for the company over them. I mean, one of the easiest things is people that only care about money, right? Where money is just like the number one thing. And it's almost impossible to work with those people because like I said before, there's always another client who can pay that person more money. So you want people that care about other stuff with their stability or self-improvement or growth. And you can see that very early on if they're just focused on the next raise, the next bonus, or they're focused on getting the project done at a high level. And I mean, a lot of it is getting people to work with other people on your team. I mean, if I'm hiring customer service reps, I'm actually creating a course on hiring customer service people right now, they're going to work with your accounting team. They're going to talk to your salespeople. They might interact with your developers. So they need to be someone who can interact outside of their team, who can build relationships, who can under or use information or get information that they're not necessarily comfortable with someone who's a developer. So there's certain things that you're looking for depending on the skill set, And then it all kind of comes down to that original culture that you laid out, the ideas, the feedback, the stuff like that. And a big part of that is part of buying in. And so you want people who are speaking up at meetings, who are sharing feedback, who aren't just saying things yes, because you're the boss. They're actually thinking it through and speaking up if something doesn't make sense. And all of that kind of ties into buying in because they want what's best for the business. They're not just showing up to clock in, clock out, get their payment and go do other things that they're focused on the, the business as the number one priority. Yeah. So that is, I think a ton of gold right there for a leader who's trying to, you know, kind of figure out like, how do I, how do I further engage my employees? Cause uh, you know, employee engagement is probably one of the things that I think a lot of businesses struggle with, you know, trying to make sure that that, that employee is 100% vested in, into what they're doing. Um, you know, I just recently went through some of the stuff with Gallup and I think the numbers are like 50% of employees aren't engaged. And if you can get them to buy in and you can, potentially double their uh, engagement and their uh, ability to work, you can be a leaner, stronger, uh, faster company because everybody's going in the same direction and you're getting 100% out of, or potentially 100% out of all those employees. And I think a, a key ingredient into building and developing that is ultimately finding uh, a ways to get them to buy in to your company and ways to get them more involved so that they're wanting that company to grow. So let's talk a little bit about outsource school and, and kind of the new ventures that you're, you're going into the SOP stuff that you're talking about. Does some of that kind of uh, flow into uh, the new venture that you're doing or like when we're talking about outsourcing and other stuff, are you, are you trying to figure out ways to get maybe what you're outsourcing to buy in or uh, is it purely just like a, a plug and play type thing? So are you asking what is outsource school? Uh, yeah, talk a little bit about outsource school, but yeah. also like, is it, is it separate from like a, a buy-in thing or does that still kind of plug in in some capacity? No, no, it does. So our main course is called Cracking the VA Code. And we give you our exact system and process for interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. And the BARF method falls under the uh, managing, whereas we teach like culture and stuff in the interviewing and, and the, the management as well. So th that's our main course. And with that, you get a one-year membership of Outsource School. So we have all these different playbooks, mini courses on how to hire VAs for certain operation stuff like 
uh, customer service, uh, bookkeeping, and then marketing stuff like podcasts and lead generation. And those are all great, but you need the fundamentals before you can implement those. So with the membership, you get all of that. You can also buy those courses separately on the site if you just want that one and to own it. And then we have this SOP building software that allows you to quickly and easily make SOPs, share them with your VAs, and you can pay a monthly fee for that. Or if you become a member, which is $1,000 a year, you get all of our courses, you get the software included in that, and, and you get access to our Facebook group and some other perks as well. So that's really what Outsource School has become, a, a store to get playbooks, pre-made SOPs that you can input in your business, an SOP building software for stuff that's customized to you, and a membership where you get access to everything. So if I'm, uh, if I'm understanding this correctly, so the idea is for platforms like FreeUp, like that's where you get the VAs. That's kind of the marketplace for finding the people that are going to do these things. But before you get into that, you really want to have kind of a, a way to vet and find the best VAs and then ultimately create the processes and procedures. So that's where uh, the SOP software comes into play and that's where Outsource School comes into play. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. I mean, we have really good SOPs for stuff that applies to lots of different businesses like bookkeeping, customer service, getting on podcasts. And we want to give people those SOPs so that they can hire VAs to do those things for them. At uh, the same time, there's lots of things that we can't teach you because it's specific to your business. So that's where the SOP builder is for. And then the membership is to get access to everything. Plus included in that is our main course, which gives you our exact process for interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing, which you really need no matter who you're hiring for. <laughs> well, then I'm glad that we're having this conversation. I know we're talking about a lot of different things, but in terms of the audience and, and kind of the people that are listening to this, these are people that are finding themselves in leadership roles and recognizing that maybe they don't have all the tools that they need to be effective leaders. And I think back to my leadership journey, when I was promoted to a manager, I was promoted to an operations role. Uh, one of the first things that I recognized was, is like I had the title, but I didn't have the training. I had the responsibility, but I didn't necessarily have the ability to, uh, to do the things that I needed to do. And it sounds like, you know, some of these things that you're talking about are almost the, the tools that they need to effectively lead. If they want to invest in themselves as a leader and, and create good SOPs or have access to SOPs like that are templates that, you know, that, that you can just like literally, you know, uh, glean from to create your own processes. These are some of those leadership uh, management tools uh, that are at your disposal that have been vetted by the businesses that you've done in the past uh, that have kind of de been deemed helpful to other people. And they can ultimately use that in their leadership to be more effective quicker. So, you know, when we talk about business development and we talk about leadership, there's two different ways to do it. The, the first way is to figure out yourself. Uh, you just, you just kind of fumble through it. You make mistakes. You learn from those mistakes. That's what I call the maybe long-term play where it's like, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm smart enough. I've been put in this position because I'm, I have some abilities, uh, to figure these things out. Um, but the time is really kind of the, the challenge that you're going to deal with because it's going to take you a long time to figure it all out. Whereas you can also learn from other people and pull into resources and, and have experts that have kind of already done that uh, discovery and plug into their knowledge. And that's going to accelerate your leadership journey. It's also going to accelerate your ability uh, to grow the company much faster. And so having access to resources like that, I think makes a huge difference. Am I kind of summarizing that correctly for you? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this isn't rocket science, but it's stuff that if you're not doing properly, it's going to really hurt your business and it's going to be tough to scale. So we try to make it easy, give you processes like our interview process that you can plug into your business right away to make really good hires. And then these SOPs, like for getting on podcasts, you can give these to your VA. Once you've hired a reliable VA, we have videos you can have the VA watch and tell help you get on more podcasts and do stuff like that. So it's really designed to accelerate your hiring, make good hires and have systems that you don't have to spend time building and testing and tweaking because they're already ready to go. And then for the systems that you do have to build out that are your business, that's what our SOP building software is for. That's fantastic. Uh, real quickly, since we're talking about this, how do, how do they find you? How do they find information about uh, the SOP builder? Yeah, so Nathan Hirsch on Facebook or LinkedIn, Real Nate Hirsch on Instagram or Twitter. If you want to connect with me, go to outsourceschool.com. You can sign up for a free trial of the membership, free trial of the software. You can check out our shop. We have some other free tools for you, a VA calculator to figure out how many VAs you can afford and some other stuff as well. And if you have any questions, reach out to me or reach out to Outsource School Support. Well, that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for kind of taking the time to, to, to hop on here and explain some of the things, uh, some of your leadership journey, some of the things that you've done uh, to grow your business. I think when we hear stories of people that have just kind of rapidly launched and, 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 and been a serial entrepreneur, I think that inspires entrepreneurs and, and, and that next generation of business leaders to first of all, know that it's possible. Uh, but second of all, kind of look at some of the paths that you've taken and, and some of the maybe the wins that you've had, maybe some of the losses that you've had uh, to recognize that, you know, in entrepreneurship and leadership, it's not always wins. Sometimes it's losses. Sometimes there's challenges. Sometimes there's failures. Sometimes there's success. And part of being that leader is learning to navigate that, learning to learn, uh, learn and grow from those mistakes, but also to celebrate those successes, even if they're big or small, uh, th that part doesn't necessarily matter. But uh, for, for me and, and for the audience, I think that it's one of those things that we can kind of look at, like what are that next generation of business leaders doing? Like what, what are the problems that they're solving? What does the frustration look like? Uh, and how are they navigating that? And really taking the action to grow the things that, that, they believe passionately about or the problems that they solved and turn that into businesses. If you were to ask me, you know, six months ago, like what kind of need is there for virtual assistance? I don't know that I would have had an answer for that, but now after COVID and the, the pandemic and all, all these other things that have kind of happened in the last couple of months, I can see a lot of people being a lot more open to the idea of VAs and a lot more open to, you know, people working from home and, and really doesn't matter where you are. And if you can get those systems and processes in place to, uh, to manage people, no matter where they are, I think that's where your business can be that much more, uh, uh, quicker and agile and growing in, in the things that you're trying to do. Completely agree. Just gives you a ton of flexibility as a business owner. And if you're not hiring VAs, I promise you, your competitors are. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm starting to get notifications from my friends who have VAs. So it's kind of funny because I'm corresponding with one person uh, to have a meeting with a friend of mine. I'm like, dude, just call me. But like, I totally get it. Like when they have, you know, so many different things that they're trying to do and they're trying to manage their schedule and be effective with their time. And I think that's something that we really haven't talked about yet. Uh, but really the importance of the value of your time and what your time is best spent doing that you recognize that it is okay to delegate off some of the things that you're doing that maybe 
that drain you that maybe you're not ultimately passionate about. And so you find yourself coming into work because you're dreading some of the tasks that you have to do. That's something that a VA could do. And especially if you get the right one uh, and, and that's a strength for them, they'll knock it out in half the time that you would. And now you're able to focus on what you do best, whether it's leading your team, developing new products, whether it's, you know, talking to new customers, uh, really kind of uh, finding ways to, as a leader in the role that you're in, recognize the value of your time. Yeah, completely agree. So uh, if you don't mind, I always try to end the podcast with giving you an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. And, and really the goal behind it is, is kind of looking at uh, the younger version of yourself, the version of yourself maybe when you were in college and you were dealing with that frustration of uh, you know, the college textbooks and, and trying to solve some of those problems. I'm sure that the person that you are today is different than the person that you were uh, then. So I want to give you an opportunity because this essentially is you talking to the younger version of yourself, but it's also you talking to that next generation of business leaders. What would you, what would be, what would your advice be to the next generation of business leaders? What would you say to the, the younger self? Yeah. I mean, it's never been a better time to, to start a business and scale a business. I mean, there, you don't need a lot of money. You do need a lot of trial and error and determination. There's so many different ways you can go from e-commerce to marketing. So, I mean, dive in there, put $5,000 in a new bank account and experiment with it and try to turn that 5,000 into seven to nine into 10. And, and you're going to come across a lot of interesting and creative ways to do it. So that, that's my advice. Well, Nathan, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your leadership journey with our audience. Uh, and uh, we're really excited about the, uh, the new ventures that you have. I'll leave links to those in the, uh, the show notes so that people can check those out. Um, but Man, there's so much in this podcast. I think it's, it's one of those things that the listeners will, will maybe need to go back and listen to uh, and, and kind of dissect even some of the things that we're saying because ultimately, you know, if you're wanting to grow as a leader, there's so many clues that success leaves behind that uh, just in, in everybody's leadership journey, there are things that we can learn and grow from, even if it's, you know, something as simple as just the importance of family uh, and recognizing that uh, employees have families and that's really why they're working. Uh, I think we, we gloss over that stuff sometimes. So, uh, thank you again for being a part of it. Uh, and, uh, we're really excited to kind of see where you go next listeners. Remember, choose to connect, seek development and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast.